0: Welcome to another edition of the podcast Sisla Energy and Ocean Industries. This week's guest was found at the Bergen Energy Yearly Conference where he is one of the keynote speakers and we had the chance to talk to him between sessions. It's a great pleasure to welcome Angus McCrone, Chief Editor at Bloomberg New Energy Finance, to share his knowledge on the ongoing trends of of renewable energy. Welcome uh, to the podcast, Angus. Um, I'd like to start off with your latest comment entitled, will the future of energy have four corners? And uh, You draw comparisons to the three branches of of government, judicial, executive and and legislature, and you raise the question of of how many vital corners uh, energy will have in in the future um, based on Input you, you got from your um, the summit Bloomberg held in in April. Um, you mentioned four renewables, storage, electric vehicles, and grid. What lies behind the, that assumption and, and those four components?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say was that um, the, uh, the 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 article I wrote on this finished with a question mark: Will the future of energy be four cornered? Um, and the the sort of concept came from what I felt was the mood at the summit in April in New York. So that, that was the way um, increasingly investors and the industry were thinking about the future. Um, and I think it's a very encouraging picture that, that there were four corners that would be kind of self-supporting to some extent. Um, for instance, with um, the advances in electric vehicle batteries making um, storage on the system uh, more economic and then that uh, helps the grid to balance, which helps the uh, investment in renewables. So there's a kind of, um, some very interesting linkages there. Um, but, I, but I also, um, s- pointed out, um, in the course of sort of presenting this concept that, um, there are sort of many issues to be resolved um, before we can sort of get to that bright future. And there's a lot being invested, for instance, still in, fossil fuel technologies, there are a lot of cost reductions that need to happen to, to bring about that four-cornered future. Um, so uh, we shouldn't be complacent about it. it. It's a sort of, maybe it's an interesting future if we get there, but um, we're not there at the moment.
0: Uh, just this week, both uh, Total and, and NG bought different battery companies and uh, Nissan recently released their X-Storage, which is for home use. Uh, the fact that Sort of energy and car companies look into the battery sector. Is that a, uh, does that confirm how those four corners you just mentioned are interconnected? Yes, I, I was interested to hear that. I, I think um, that certainly does. They're
1: seeing um, potential business for themselves, but also um, another reason for people to buy electric vehicles is is not just the sort of uh, the fact that it's maybe a trendy thing to own and and that in the future. Sometime in the 2020s, it might be the most economic um, vehicle, mm. but also the fact that um, if there's additional revenue for the customer, uh, potentially from uh, being able to provide grid services um, by making their, their batteries available to the grid to balance uh, demand uh, during the day or during the night, then um, that actually improves the economics themselves and will encourage sales.
0: You, uh, the Bloomberg released a study in February predicting um, EV uh, is to reach about 35% of, of global new car sales by by 2040. And I've noticed that you are a lot more optimistic in your uh, forecasts on EV than uh, the International Energy Agency. And just uh, before we started this podcast, I got a tweet uh, drawing my attention to the uh, uh, E i a saying that only one percent of e v of, of vehicles would be e v and i think that was in twenty thirty what lies behind your uh, let's call it op- optimistic projections well i think the main
1: reason is um, our forecasts for uh, technology improvements and reductions in the cost of batteries so uh, by the mid 2020 s we reckon that um any consumer whose only interest in buying a vehicle is, is the sort of relative economics. By that point, in most countries of the world, um, it will favor electric vehicles just because of the improvements in the technology, the reduction in battery costs, the uh, economies of scale as bigger factories produce uh, batteries more effectively and with more automation and so on. Those things will come into play by the 2020s. And then by 2030, we will probably start seeing some new battery technologies coming in as well. Um, so it's those sort of cumulative effects that will drive that change in the, in the system.
0: Mm. Um, you're here in, in Norway uh, at the Bergen Energy uh, Conference, and you just talked about um, investment trends, uh, setting a new record in, in 2015 with $329 billion dollars. In your view, what, what are the driving forces behind the increased investments? Is it profit- profitability? Is it need of energy? Uh, lower costs? If you could point at some, some key variables. I think there's a combination of all those things you mentioned,
1: and it depends a bit on, on the different countries. Um, you know, for instance, in Japan, uh, they have a big problem with the, the nuclear plants and the um, Fukushima disaster, and therefore they had to find something New to fill the gap uh, with, with the nuclear plants going out of operation and um, solar became um, something that they were going to invest tens of billions of dollars in a year. Um, so that, that's that been the issue there. And some of the um, develop, developing economies, they, they've got a lot of electricity demand coming through as their economy grows. So the choice is there. We need some capacity. What's it going to be? Um, and in, in places in South America, for instance, uh, wind and solar is, is often actually the cheapest technology. So mm-hmm. it's been winning auctions at the expense of fossil fuels. And the other advantage, well, the other two advantages that um, wind and solar can have are uh, energy security. So once you've actually uh, paid for the uh, the turbines or the panels and installed them, then you don't have to worry anymore about uh, whether your neighbouring country is going to be friendly and allow the the uh, the gas or the oil through to reach you. So that energy security issue goes away. And the other thing is speed. So if you're looking for capacity quickly, a developing economy and you're having blackouts and you need um, capacity built quickly, then you can build a solar plant in three to six months and a wind plant in six to nine months. Um, and that's a lot more quickly than you could build a coal plant mm. uh, or let alone a nuclear plant, which would probably take many, many years.
0: If if, if we concentrate on on Europe, last year, um, investments in Europe fell. Although for the first quarter of 2016, they rose again. And there's a couple of major projects in in East Anglia, Anglia, um, in the wind power sector. And you have uh, onshore power in in Norway, actually, um, in in Trondelag. How do you see the future of uh, investments in Europe? Because I know in in the UK, there's a lot going on with uh, uh, different uh, subsidy Schemes, um, trade associations warning that um, a reduction in, in subsidies will will majorly affect the the renewable uh, sector. How, how do you see the development in Europe?
1: Well, in the UK, I think you're right that um, investment will probably fall for the next couple of years. Um, certainly outside the offshore wind sector, because the government has um, a, a new government. Uh, came into office last year with the same Prime Minister but different um, parties uh, making up that government and um, they've sort of taken an unfriendly attitude towards subsidising onshore wind and and solar so it's bound to have an effect for the next couple of years. What I suspect will happen though there is that um, they were looking for more gas capacity to be built and more nuclear capacity to be built and they probably will fall, those technologies will not be built in in the numbers that the government expected and, and pretty soon it'll be back looking at renewables and it, in the meantime the economics will have moved further in, um, towards onshore um, wind and solar so I, I, I think that the policy will probably change again in, in a couple of years time. In Europe it, it's a it's sort of mixed picture so you've got offshore wind sector is very strong in Europe and there's a lot more projects expected to be financed this year in uh, German waters, uh, Belgium, Netherlands and then the French projects are just one or two years away and some of the other countries the problem is that they've um, got excess uh, electricity supply now so they've built a lot of capacity and then their economies haven't been performing very well so they don't actually need to build anything very much um, in the short term so I think there'll definitely be a pause a continuing pause in southern Europe and parts of eastern Europe before we see more developments but then if you go sort of to the fringes of Europe there's strong demand for new capacity in places like Turkey. So I think that's going to be an important market.
0: I know you also follow the uh, the wave and tidal energy uh, sector. Those are two forms of energy that you'd say lags behind more conventional new renewables, um, at least in terms of, of cost. Uh, we've previously written about the Tidal Lagoon project in, in Swansea, uh, which seems to be losing momentum how do you see and, and there's also various uh, projects in norway trying to develop um, uh, wave and, and tidal energy what are your predictions for those for, for other marine forms of energy except um, the wind
1: well i think you need to split marine energy into three parts so there's wave technology and there's tidal range technology which includes those lagoons and there's tidal stream technologies which is effectively underwater wind turbines so If you look at the three one-by-one, wave technology, um, there's a lot of interesting technologies out there. They're very different. They look very different. Some of them are onshore, close to shore. Some are in deep water. They work in very different ways. Um, But the progress with those technologies has been very disappointing over the years. A lot of money has been spent, and some of that money has been lost. Uh, It's not clear how quickly wave technology will, will advance to the sort of megawatt scale. There's one or two companies in the Nordic countries that seem to be doing better, but uh, I'm not expecting much from wave technology in the next few years. If you look at tidal range, the lagoons and the barrages, um, the problem there is they're quite expensive. So unless you're building a really huge one across the whole estuary, um, then the economics don't look very attractive, and that's the problem that the Swansea project has. Um, and if you're talking about a really huge one, then you run into other environmental problems with wildlife and birds and things like that. So again, I'm not sure that we're going to see much from uh, tidal range. But the one which looks most promising is tidal stream. So there are a number of projects um, in the megawatt scale, several megawatt scale, um, happening now in in the north of Scotland and in France and in Canada. um, Early projects trying out arrays of of tidal stream uh, turbines. And some of those will probably work and some of them won't work but i'm quite i'm quite optimistic actually that that will become uh something that is sort of reasonably economic within a few years
0: Mm. um coming to closer i one of the major topics of the last few years have been the reduction of costs recently there was a a bid for solar in dubai coming in at 2.99 dollars and per kilowatt and although there's a lot of information that's not known about the bid yet. It represents uh, the latest example of decreasing prices. But I, I was wondering is, is it possible for the price to become too low? As companies, whoever put in this bid still has to make money off it. And yeah. Do you have any reflections on... on, on um well, I think that's a question that
1: a lot of people in the industry are asking, uh, whether these prices are realistic or not. I think one thing to bear in mind is that a lot depends on whether uh, built into these contracts, there is sort of inflation proofing. So it's very, very different if you, if you bid sort of $3 um, a, a megawatt hour, and uh, then, uh, sorry, $30 a megawatt hour, and then you um, find that you've got a sort of inflation uh, increase on that every year, then the economics is a lot more attractive than if you're bidding $30 a megawatt hour, and there's no uh, in- increase for inflation. So some of those details aren't clear. But certainly um, NL Green Power, which is one of the companies that's been quite an aggressive bidder in some of these markets, um, like Mexico, um, Peru, for instance, um, they, would, they were questioned very directly about uh, whether the projects were viable at our summit in New York in April. And um, the clear message from their chief executive was that they'd been through the mass very carefully and board level, signed off on the economics and, and so on. So... Uh, we'll gradually get more details in these projects, but at, at, at the moment, I think um, some will probably prove not to be economic, but some of them will, and um, it, it, you know, it looks encouraging that those costs are coming down all the time.
0: Final question, I uh, guess. Uh, the world of renewables, to me, seems quite optimistic at, at the time being. Uh, although you you had setbacks like the bankruptcy of, of Sun Edison in the U.S. and uh, falling stock prices for, for solar companies for the last few months uh are there any i assume there are there are also reasons to be cautious about the development of of renewable energy um if if you could pinpoint some of the things that not necessarily worries you but you that you see must be paid close attention to
1: well one of the worries is that um the investment trends in renewables are encouraging but the, the climate change issue is very very worrying and um so far uh the switch from fossil fuel to, re- to renewables isn't anything like enough to to uh, solve the climate problem. So that's one of the big issues. Um, a- another issue is that um, there are developing economies that maybe, in, like India, for instance, are investing quite a lot in solar and, and some extent wind, but they're also investing a lot in coal, and that, that's worrying. And another one is, um, so far... Most of the countries around the world have been successful at integrating wind and solar up to quite a high percentage, in some cases 25-30% or more, of, of total generation. Um, so far that hasn't been a problem, but those the grids have got to continue to be successful to do that. If it starts causing problems, then that might um, start to affect the uh, the speed at which renewables are invested in around the world.
0: Thank you very much, Angus, and enjoy the rest of your stay in in Norway.